Well, praise the Lord for that. That's good. Uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to see the sun for the clouds and the dark storms. But above the storms, the sun is still shining. And uh, so that's good to know. And uh, looking forward to that day that the sun will come bursting through the clouds from glory. Won't that be good? <clears throat> that will be a good day. Well, it's good to be with you again. Thank you for your hospitality, good place to stay, good food to eat, good fellowship. I thank you so much for all of that. Uh, now, I realised uh, I only preached for 20 minutes last night. Did you all realise that? I didn't realise that. But I only preached for 20 minutes last night, so I'm going to make up for it tonight. Okay? So uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us here. I do have uh, what the Lord's put on my heart is, it actually is three messages, uh, but uh, we, won't, uh, we won't drag it out. But I do want to bring out a few thoughts um, from this passage of Scripture. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 34, if you would please. Exodus chapter 34. Uh, We'll start our reading. It's going to be a little bit... Uh, we're going to jump up into chapter 33. We're going to read one verse in chapter 33 of the book of Exodus. And then we're going to jump down into chapter 34 and read the first 12 verses of chapter 34. So Exodus chapter 33, and I'd just like you to notice verse 21. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. I want you to notice those five words in the middle of that verse. There is a place by me. God said that to Moses. There is a place by me. And I thank the Lord that there's a place for me under the shadow of his wings. And there's a place for you by him under the shadow of his wings. So keep that in mind. I'll, uh, the main thought for tonight is there is a place by me. Now let's read verse 30, uh, chapter 34, verse 1 through verse 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning and come up in the morning under Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount. Neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth 
keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, under the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people, I will do marvels, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord. For it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou that which I command thee this day, and uh, this day, behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. Let's just bow for a word of prayer and ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, I do come before you again this evening in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm so grateful, my Lord, for your kindness and your graciousness and your mercy. Thankful, Lord, for these good folks that are gathered here this evening. And my Lord, I pray and I ask, would you be pleased to help us this this evening, Lord? Uh, We need you again tonight, Lord. Uh, I need your help. And uh, Lord, I'm, I have no doubt these folks before me need your help. And Lord, I pray and I ask that you'd be honored and glorified in all that is said and done. I thank you for the power that's in the blood of the Lord Jesus. I thank you for the victory that's in the blood of the Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that my sins are forgiven because of the blood of the Lord Jesus. And my Lord, we just ask your blessing now as we look into this passage Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is a place by me. That's a wonderful statement, and it's a wonderful thing to meditate on, the fact that God would be interested enough in you, interested enough in Moses, interested enough in me to have a place for me by him. I want to say about that place, it's a personal place. It's a place just for Moses. Uh, It's a place just for you. It's a personal place. But not only that, you'll find that it's a peaceful place. And it's a plentiful place. But most importantly, it's a powerful place. Uh, you, You have to be close by the Lord if you're going to have any power in your Christian life. So I'm thankful for that place the Lord has for us. It's a place of personal consecration and it's a place of divine manifestation. You see here what the Lord's going to do. This is the first time in scripture that God is going to reveal a portion of himself to man. It's a place of divine manifestation. You get to know a little bit about God when you find that place. It's that David found that place before Goliath. Esther found that place before the king. I want to say that Ruth found that place before the unknown when she set out. Daniel found that place in the den of lions. The Hebrew boys found that place in the burning fiery furnace. 
John the Baptist found that place when he had his head cut off by that wicked woman. Peter found that place while he was walking on the water. Paul found that place while he was in prison. The thief on the cross found the place when facing eternity. All the saints down through the ages as they were burned at the stake, thrown to the lions, they found that place. And do you know that that place is still available to you in 2020? Place is still there. Because God's still the same. And he's interested in you and he loves you just as he does those Old Testament saints and the saints in the New Testament and the saints of old. He loves me and he loves you and there is a place by him just for you. And brethren, I want you to be persuaded by the time we get through this evening that there is a place just for you beside God. Wonderful truth. I thank God for that. Now, just by way of introducing the context of where we find ourselves here in chapter 34, I'm going to go back to chapter 14. I'm just going to run through really quickly. Exodus chapter 14, God redeemed himself a people out of Egypt and he delivered them through the Red Sea. You remember that story? He delivered them through there and there was a great redemption in chapter 14 and God's people was delivered. Chapter 15, they're singing the victory song. Chapter 20, they're given the Ten Commandments. They're told how to live. God redeemed him him a people and he said, this is how I want you to behave yourself. Uh, Folks, we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and we've got the book to know how God wants us to live. It's the same principle. When we jump over there into uh, chapter 21 and chapter 23, we see there's a, a number of laws and ordinances that God lays out for his people. In chapter 24 and verse 7, the people promised to be obedient. They said, yep, we'll do that, Lord. We'll we'll follow your word. We get to uh, chapter 24 and verse verse 9 through verse 18. Moses has gone up on the mount for 40 days. And then from chapter 25 to chapter 31, we have the design of the tabernacle and diverse laws. So there, God's redeemed himself a people. He's given them a law how to live. And now he's given them some principles how to worship him. He's just laying it all out for them. But we come to that awful chapter in chapter 32. Didn't take them long, did it? And here they are in their pride, in their impatience, and in their presumption, they've defiled themselves. God's just delivered them. They've been singing the victory song. God's just told them how to live. God's just told them how to worship. And then straight away, they've sinned. They've rebelled against the very word of God that they were given. We see here in chapter 32 that the people transgress. And there's the idolatry of the golden calf. And Moses intercedes on Israel's behalf. And verse 15 through verse 25, Moses confronts Israel for their sin, for their idolatry, their playing, their singing, their dancing, their nakedness. 3,000 men were executed. And then Moses intercedes again. And then in chapter 33, the people mourn. Folks, sin will just bring you mourning. That's all it's going to bring. You might dance around naked for a little while, but at the end of the day, someone's going to get hurt and there's going to be mourning. 
that, that's always the pattern. So the context of where we find ourselves in chapter 34 and the context where God said to Moses, there is a place by me. The context is, is that God had chosen and redeemed himself a people. But, just like you and me, they were stiff-necked. They were obstinate, they were stubborn, they were self-willed. Through their wicked impatience and presumption, they'd corrupted themselves. Through that, the relationship had broken down. God had chosen himself a people and established a relationship with a people. And that's what he does when he saves us. He chooses us, he redeems us, and God establishes a relationship. I didn't establish the relationship when I got saved. God established that relationship with me. But what happens from there, whenever there's a relationship breakdown, it's me. And whenever there's a relationship breakdown between you and the Lord after you've been saved, it's never the Lord, it's you. And so what we see now here in chapter 34, we see a number of principles that are very helpful for us to to help us to restore that relationship or help us to maintain that relationship if we haven't found ourselves in a backslidden cold state. So there's a few different things we see here in chapter 34 that I want to point out to you. Uh, We're going to break it into three different portions. Number one, first of all, we're going to look at man's responsibility in the restoration. Then we're going to look at how man can stay in that place of restoration. And then lastly, the Lord willing, we'll look at God's portion in this restoration. So would you go with me to... Exodus chapter 34 and verse 1. Notice it with me. Man's part in the restoration of this relationship. Number one is personal responsibility. Notice what it says there in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I'll write on these tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest. Now it was the nation of Israel that broke the commandments of God when they made that golden calf, right? But it was Moses that broke the tables. And that was a picture, an illustration of the word of God being broken. Moses threw those tables down in frustration, anger, disgust, whatever it was, he's the one that broke the tables. And the Lord said... You hew out two tables of stone and then I'll write the words back on there uh, because you broke them. You hew them out. Do you see that in verse 1? And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone. At the end of verse 1 it says, Which thou breakest. My point is this. If we've got a breakdown in the relationship, it's my fault. It's your fault. It's nobody else's fault. Well, preacher, you don't know the man I live with. Well, preacher, you don't know the woman I live with. Well, if you just understood my children, well, my parents, the pastor, if the pastor would just... 
No, it's personal responsibility. Your walk with God and you finding that place by God, it comes down to personal responsibility. And I must embrace that personal responsibility. If I'm going to find that place, if I'm going to stay in that place, I must embrace personal responsibility. And you must embrace personal responsibility. But the, the, the thing is, we live in a day where nobody wants to embrace personal responsibility. Well, it was the way I was raised. It's got nothing to do with it. You have to embrace personal responsibility. God holds you personally responsible. It's not your parents' fault. It's not your wife's fault, not your husband's fault, not your pastor's fault, not your co-worker's fault. It comes down to me. At the end of the day, I'm the one that's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ for me. And you are for you. You're not going to stand there for anybody else. Must embrace personal responsibility. James chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to me. The verse doesn't say when God draws nigh to you, then you draw nigh to him. God's waiting for you to move. And when he sees you move, he'll move. But a lot of times we sit there in our stiff-neckedness. Is that a word? Is now. In our stubbornness, in our obstinance, we sit there and we sort of have a two-year-old tantrum on the Lord and expect God just to fix everything and then we'll start behaving. God says, you draw nigh to me and then I'll draw nigh to you. You cleanse your hands, you sinners. You see that personal responsibility? He said to Moses, Moses, you go and hew two tables of stone. He had to go get it and he had to chip those stones out. He didn't just go down to Bunnings in that day. He had to cut those stones out himself. That's hard work. He had to go hew those two tables of stone. Point number two. If you're ever going to find that place and if you're going to stay in that place, you're going to have to respect the word of God. Notice what it says in verse 1 again. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first. The tables weren't what was important. What was important was the words that were on the table. I love my Bible. And uh, I, I try and respect my Bible. I try and look after it. I don't sit things on top of it. I try and put it on top, nothing else on top of it. Don't sit my cup of coffee on it. There's nothing special. Hey, it's nice leather. Even smells like a cow. <laughs> but it's there's nothing special about the letter, nothing special about the paper, but there's something very special about the author, and there's something very special about the word. And if I'm gonna find that place by the Lord, and I'm gonna stay in that place by the Lord, I'm gonna have to respect this book. And you're gonna have to respect this book. Moses threw it down. The Lord wasn't pleased with that. He said, now you go get two tables of stone and then I'm going to write those words back on there because they're important words. 
Folks, we ought to raise our children to love the book and reverence the book and respect the book. You're going to have to respect the word of God. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's all profitable. It's profitable for different things. It's profitable for doctrine, for teaching. That's to tell us what's right. It's profitable for reproof, tell us what's wrong. Profitable for correction, how to get it right. Profitable for instruction, how to keep it right. The word of God is profitable. But it's only profitable if you respect it. Only profitable. Uh, Simon, uh, P- uh, Peter said to the Lord, when, when the Lord Jesus said to Simon, Peter, cast your, your net out the other side of the boat. Peter's thinking, you're crazy. I'm the expert. I've been fishing all night. You've got no idea. There's not going to be any fish out there. But he, he said, nevertheless, at thy word... I will. See, it made no rational sense to Peter, but he respected the word of God enough to say, well, it doesn't make any sense, but God said it, so I'm going to do it. Folks, you're going to have to live that way. You're going to have to approach the book that way. I'm going to have to pick it up and I'm going to have to read it. I'm going to say, well, that doesn't make any sense, but God said it, so that settles it and I'm going to do it. It's that simple. I was... uh, counselling a couple. They'd been married a good while. There was nothing ill in the marriage. Their marriage had just grown cold over 20 or so years and four kids. and There was no abuse. There was uh, no immorality. And I was sitting down talking to this couple, trying to help them through. And uh, after a number of times together, the wife said, I'm done. I'm sick of it. And I'm finished. I said, well, sister, if you, if you step out of this marriage, you're stepping out of the will of the Lord. There's, there's no biblical grounds to step out of that. And she said, I know what the Bible says. I just don't care. Uh, you're not going to find that place with that attitude. You, you can't say, I know what the book says. I just don't care. And find that place. Folks, we've got, we've got to love the book. Got to respect the book. I'll find that place if I love the book. I'll stay in that place if I love the Bible. Thirdly, respond quickly. Notice what it says in verse 2. Be ready in the morning. He's got, Moses has to hew out two stones. And God said to him, you be ready in the morning. He didn't say, now when you're ready, let me know. He said, you go and hew out two stones and you'll be ready in the morning. Folks, procrastination is one of the greatest tools of the devil to keep you backslidden, to keep you cold, to keep you indifferent. Well, just when, well, tomorrow, when this happens, respond quickly. When God says move, move. He said, be ready in the morning. Folks, be ready in the morning. Boast not thyself for tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. But we're so quick to put things off. 
If I'm going to find that place, brother, sister, if you're going to find that place, you've got to respond quickly. While the Holy Spirit's dealing with you, while the Holy Spirit's striving with you, you've got to respond. You've got to respond. Just move. Fourthly, it's all about you. Notice what he said in verse 2. Be ready in the morning. Come up in the morning under Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me. Moses was to present himself to God. Moses wasn't to have Joshua with him. Moses wasn't to present anybody else. This was just between God and Moses. And if you're going to find that place, it's just between you and God. It's all about me. It's all about you. Well, when my husband gets right, well, when my wife does, when, when, my, when my parent, remember, it's all about you. You know, if you just do it, someone might follow. It's all about me. No one else can get saved for you, folks. You can only get saved for yourself. No one, can, no one can get right for you. You can only get right for yourself. Only you can move towards God for you. The preacher can plead with you. The congregation can pray for you. The congregation can exhort you. Your family can be with you. But only you can make the move. Only you can. Only you. It's all about you. You know, there's a, Moses was told to present himself. We're told that in Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's all about me. Fifthly, under, personal, under man's portion. Fifthly, and in verse 3, take it seriously. God takes it seriously. Notice what he says in, in verse 3. So Moses has been told to present himself, and he said, No man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before the mount. Isn't that strange? Moses is going up on the mount. This was a serious, solemn occasion. God said to Moses, don't bring anyone up with you. I don't want to see another man on the mount. In fact, I don't even want to see a herd of animals feeding around the mount. This is a solemn occasion, serious. God was taking this occasion seriously. An intimate moment between him and Moses. And if you're going to find that place, you're going to have to take this Christian life seriously. You're going to have to take your relationship with Jesus seriously. It doesn't just happen. You know, we, we live in a society of she'll be right. She'll be right, mate. L listen, she won't be right. A lot of things, okay, we might be able to... A lot of things we may be able to get away with, she'll be right. You, 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 you walk with Jesus, you walk with the Lord, she won't be right if you leave it alone. 
She won't be right if you just have a a laid-back attitude about it. You, You must take it seriously. I must. Sixthly, and lastly in this portion, in verse 4 I see obedience and labour. Notice what it says in verse 4. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up, and went up under Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hands the two tables of stone. So two things I see here, obedience and labour. Number one, he hewed out the two tables of stone. He did what he was told. He just did what he was told. But then we see he rose up early in the morning. Uh, That would help you in your walk with the Lord. Get out of bed. It just helps. It really does. But notice what it says. uh, It says, and went up in in the Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. He just did what he was told. And folks, to be honest with you, we know what we need to do. If we've been saved any length of time, we've been in church any length of time, we know what we have to do to get close to God. We know. We just have to do it. We just have to do it. But the doing is the hard part. That's the labour. Have you seen a picture of Mount Sinai? That's a pretty big hill. And do you know he was to take two tables of stone? They were big stones. They were heavy stones. There was two of them. And he was to carry them up the mountain. What's the point? The point is, it's not easy. It's a simple point, but it's not easy. Here he is, these two big tables of stone... And he's having to lug them, carry them up Mount Sinai. That's hard work. It's slow. It's tedious. Monotonous. He wasn't just looking around at the view. No, he was concentrating and he was working hard. And if you're going to find that place, if you're going to get right with the Lord, you're going to stay right with the Lord, it's going to take obedience, but it's just going to take some hard work. But most of the time, the problem is we just don't like the hard work. I mean, we'll go and do uh, eight, day, eight, 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 ten hours of hard work a day. We can do that. But when it comes to our spiritual life, a lot of us are lazy. We're just lazy. We don't read enough. We don't meditate enough. And we don't pray enough. We're just lazy. I'm not picking on you. I'm the same. We are. That's that old nature. But if we're going to find that place, we're going to stay in that place, it's just going to take some obedience and it's going to take some hard work. That's point number one. Let's look at number two. How to stay close. I found that place. Moses found that place. He found that place by the Lord. How am I going to stay there? Notice it with me in verse 8. There's five things I want to show you that will help you. Stay close to the Lord. Number one, 
in verse 8, learn to worship. Notice what it says, And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Let me point this out to you. After the first four verses, that was all Moses' responsibility, right? Moses just had to do some things. Notice what it says in verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. After Moses did his part, the Lord descended and stood with him there. You see, he found that place through doing, fulfilling his responsibility. But then after he found that place, the first thing he did was worship God. And one thing that will help you more than anything is just learn to worship God. Learn to worship him. What's, what's it mean to worship God? Well, it means to bow before. It means to reverence. It means to adore. It means to serve. To worship God has more to do than what we're doing here tonight. It has more to do with what you do on Sunday morning and Wednesday night and Sunday night. Yes, we come and we worship the Lord and we sing and we give and we raise a hand and we, we thank the Lord and all that sort of thing. And that's all worshipping God. But we need to learn to worship God on a daily basis. What do I mean by that? I mean you need to learn to worship the Lord in, in your own home. You can worship God at home. You can worship God anywhere. So we can worship God that way. But then, you know, just the, just the de decisions you make and the choices you make on a daily basis can be worshipping the Lord because they're, they're decisions that are based in reverence and adoring him and taking him, taking him into consideration in, in the way you behave on a daily basis. That's all part of worshipping the Lord. We're supposed to be worshipping the Lord all the day. Worshipping God. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Thank God. Moses, the first thing he did was he just, he bowed before God and he worshipped the Lord. And folks, we need, we need to learn to do that. We need to learn to worship. Uh, I, I think, and I hope I'm not being out of place, Pastor, but I think as independent, independent Baptists, uh, particularly as we gather together, we're pretty gun shy uh, because uh, we've done a bit of a pendulum swing from the charismatic Pentecostal. Uh, you know, I, I, I've got us clapping hands. Forgive me. <laughs> but there are a few songs we, we clap our hands as we sing. You know, God give us emotion. And we ought to use our emotion when we worship God. But we, 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 so we do that bit of a pendulum swing, but also it's like our British upper lip, stiff upper lip influence as well. Uh, we need to learn to relax and just worship God. It'll help us. It'll help us. First thing he did was worship God. Second thing was he prayed. Notice what he, what, notice in verse 9. And he said, if now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. First he worshipped, then he prayed. Folks, we don't pray anywhere near enough. 
if we're ever going to be revived as Christians, the number one thing will be prayer. It'll be prayer. Prayer is what's going to get it done. We, we can have a lot of other things, but if we don't learn to pray, we never will be revived. We will never stay in that place close to God if we don't learn to communicate with God, if we don't learn to listen to God, because praying is not just you talking. Praying is also you being still and listening. We, we've got to learn to communicate with God, learn to pray. You know, that could, there in Luke chapter 11... The disciples heard Jesus praying. And after Jesus got through praying, one of them said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Could you imagine listening to Jesus praying? That must have been amazing. Do you know there's some, there's some men of God that I've heard pray? I think of my pastor and a few other men. And you get down and pray with them. These are generally older men. You get down and pray with him. You're praying in the same room. And it's just, it's like I can't even pray. I just sit, I just kneel down there and listen. And it's so intimate, so personal. They've learned how to pray. Folks, I'm afraid most of us don't even know how to pray. Praying off a prayer list, that, that's good, but it can get pretty automated. Are we really praying? Are we really engaged? Are we really communing? God help us. God teach us how to pray. Thirdly, if I'm going to stay in that place, I'm going to have to learn to trust God. Notice it in verse 10 and 11. And this is a pretty special. Notice this. This is wonderful. Uh, verse 10 and 11. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation and all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord for it is a terrible thing that I will do for thee. Notice down in verse 11, observe thou that which I command thee this day, behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, uh, the, the Hivite and the Jebusite and the Hittite. He said... There in verse 11 he said, I make a covenant. Verse 10 he said, I will do marvels. The end of verse 10 it says, it's a terrible thing that I will do. Verse 11 he said, I drive out. Hey folks, if we get in that place and we learn to worship God and we learn to pray and we learn to trust the Lord, he's going to do some things for us. He will do some things for you that you, can, you will never do for yourself. Remember, it's a place of divine manifestation. He will, do some, he will drive out some things in your life that you thought you would never get the victory over. But you're going to have to get close. He said, I will. You're going to have to trust him when he says, I will. He said, I will drive them out. I drive them out. But it wasn't until Moses found that place that God would drive them out. You've got some things in your life that you've just been battling with a long time. You know, maybe it's just, uh, maybe it's timidity in witnessing. Maybe you're just shy and you don't have that boldness that you need. 
perhaps it's faithlessness in your, in your walk with the Lord and you just struggle trusting the Lord and being settled and having peace. And Maybe it's an addiction of some sort. I don't know. Whatever it is, God can take care of some things when you get close. He'll drive some things out for you. That's good to know. Praise God. He's given me victory over some things I thought I'd never get victory over. I still need victory over some things and I need to get closer so he'll drive some more things out for me. But folks, we need to learn to trust him. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 23 and verse 24, I'm going to read you these verses. It says there, And what one nation in the earth is like thy people? It's speaking of the people of Israel. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people which thou redeemest to, thy, to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever and thou, Lord, art become their God." Verse 23, it says, What one nation in the earth is like thy people? Uh, folks, there's, there's no other nation like the nation of Christians. We're a peculiar nation. We're a peculiar people that belong to God. And he'll do things for us that he won't do for those that don't know him. We're a special people. Don't forget that. That's why there's a place for you by him. Because you're special to him. Have to learn to obey him. Have a look in verse 11. If I'm going to stay there, I'm just going to have to be obedient. Notice what it says in verse 11. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Observe. Observe it. Do it. Obey. Obedience. Do you know the word obedience is mentioned 12 times in the scriptures? All 12 times are in the New Testament. Obedience. Let me define obedience. Do as you're told. Do as you're told. Folks, now do you like, do you like hearing that? That kind of makes me grumpy when I say it myself. Do as you're told. I didn't like it when I was a kid. I don't like it now. And that's that old flesh. That's that old nature. It's that pride. Do as you're told. That's what obedience is. And God said, observe. Observe it. Do as you're told. Just, just be obedient. Just do what I tell you to do. And folks, a lot of the Christian life is just do as you're told. In fact, that's what man's portion is all about. You can, you can sum up man's portion by saying this, humble yourself and do as you're told. That's what he was saying to Moses. Moses, humble yourself and do as you're told. And then verse 5 occurred, the Lord descended. He found that place. Obedience. Just obey. Have a look when we go to Philippians chapter 2. The Lord Jesus Christ is our great example. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that uh, my flesh rises up against do as you're told. My flesh rises up against be obedient. Uh, but I reckon if the Lord Jesus can humble himself and be obedient, uh, 
I don't reckon I'm too good to humble myself and obey. Notice what it says, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 through verse 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If God the Son can humble himself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, you too can humble yourself and be obedient. I mean, you might be pretty good, but you're not that good. Right? If Jesus can humble himself and be obedient unto death, you and I, we we ought to just throw ourselves down without even thinking about it. Yes, Lord, I'll do as I've been told. God help us. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. They're, They're not a heavy burden. Ah, I have to read my Bible. Ah, I have to pray. Ah, I have to go to church. What's wrong with that pastor? Always on me about going to church. Ah, I have to love my neighbor. Have to love my wife. Really? Is it that much of a burden? If it's that much of a burden, you don't love God. That's what that verse says. If you love God, we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. We have seasons, right? And there's some, we go through things, it's a little bit tough. But if that, if that sums up your life and your whole attitude as a Christian, boy, you just need to do a checkup. It, it's a pleasure serving the Lord. It's a pleasure being a Christian. Thank God I'm saved. Our point before was learn to trust God. And I want to say this. You'll never fully obey God and learn you, and, and, until you learn to trust God. Because a lot of times when we f- refuse to obey, a lot of times it's when it doesn't make sense. Well, I'm not doing that. It doesn't make any sense. I'm going to do it this way. Whatever reason. If I'm going to obey God, I'm going to have to completely trust him. I'm going to have to put complete confidence in him that he's got it. It's okay. His word is right. He's not got it wrong. I'm just going to follow his word and trust him. Lord, help us be that way. Lord, help you be that way. Lastly, we need to learn to beware. Notice verse 12 back in our text. Verse 12. Here the exhortation is to take heed. Verse 12, take heed to thyself. Going to stay in that place, better beware, better take heed to myself. That word take heed means to hedge about, means to protect, it means to guard, beware, be circumspect. means to wake up. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. 
We need to be careful, folks, as we're walking through the Christian life, as I'm looking for that place and as I'm seeking to stay in that place, I need to take heed to myself. You need to take heed to yourself. And notice what they need to take heed about. Notice it there in verse 12. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where thou goest. I want to say to you, we need to take heed against worldliness. It's really easily, really easy to make a covenant we didn't even know we did. All of a sudden we've let, let a bit of worldliness creep in. Be careful, folks. Just be careful. If we're going to find that place, going to stay in that place, going to have to take heed to myself, going to have to be aware. Let me finish on this note here. Go back with me. I want you to notice verse 5. Let's notice uh, God's portion in restoration. God's portion in finding this place. I'm really just going to mention these things. I'm not going to spend much time on them. But if it wasn't for these attributes of God, you and me, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Notice it with me, would you, would you please? Verse 5, he says, And the Lord descended in the, in the cloud and stood with him, or in that place. And there, there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him, And proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, number one, merciful. Thank God. The only reason there is that place is because God's merciful. God could have just wiped them out after the golden calf. But it was just the very mercies of God that God said, there's a place by me, Moses. And it's just the very mercies of God that there's a place for you by him, even after all your nonsense. And after all my nonsense. There's a place. There's a place for you. No matter how cold you are, doesn't matter how backslidden you are, there's a place for you. Just simply because God is merciful. Merciful means he's compassionate. He's tender. He's unwilling to give pain. He's not cruel. He's not a cruel God. He's not a mean God. He's a merciful God. And therefore, there's a place for you and me. We're told in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Thank God for that. You know, if it wasn't for the compassions of God, he'd hit you on the head a long time ago and just took you on home to heaven. (laughs) And me. But it's just his mercy. He's so kind to us. I mean, you think about raising children and just, ah, how many times do we have to go over this children? You know, surely it's that way with us as well. He's just merciful, isn't he? Not only that, but notice he's gracious. Merciful and gracious. Gracious means he's favourable, kind, friendly, benevolent. Willing to forgive offences and impart unmerited blessings. Just gracious. Doesn't that sound like God? That's why there's a place for you, because he's kind. He's tender-hearted. He's benevolent. He's willing to forgive. He's long-suffering. Notice it there in verse 6, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering bearing injuries or provocation for a long time, patient 
not easily provoked. Uh, I'm easily provoked. But I'm thankful God is not... It takes a lot for me to provoke the Lord. Not because of anything special of me, but just because he's long-suffering. Long-suffering. Thank God he's long-suffering. Folks, we'd be in a lot of trouble if it wasn't for the attribute of God, of his patience and his long-suffering. I mean, he's been working on some of you a long time. Right? He's been working on me a long time. Nearly 20 years he's been working on me, and I'm still not what I ought to be. Long-suffering. He's good. The Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness. He's good in character, good in constitution. It's used in things physical and moral. Is beneficial in its effect. I tell you, God's good. He's not bad. He doesn't have a bad effect on people. When God gets involved, he has a beneficial effect in their life because he's good. And if you get close to him and you get in that place, he'll have a beneficial effect on you because he's good. He's a God of truth. He's consistent, isn't he? God operates in reality. He operates in truth. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful God hasn't sold me a bill of lies. I'm thankful I can pick up my Bible and I can read it and it's reality. This is reality. What we live in and our feelings and all the rest of it, that's fictional. Bible's reality. Because it's God's word, he deals in truth. But lastly, notice this, he's forgiving. Oh, thank God. I'm so glad he's forgiving. You know, he could, he, could have, he could have knocked Moses on the head. He could have knocked all the nation of Israel on the head. He could have sent them all to hell straight away. But he is just forgiving. He said, Moses, there's a place by me. And the reason he was able to say that is because he was forgiving. He was willing to forgive the transgression. And I don't know, maybe there's somebody here, maybe you've been involved with something and there's some sin in your life. Do you know that the Lord will forgive you? We're told if we confess our sins. See, that's your personal responsibility. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wonderful. Forgiving. I'm sure glad when I came to the Lord nearly 20 years ago that he forgave me. He didn't kick me while I was down. He didn't slap me around. He didn't spit on me. He didn't tell me to come back later. You know what he did? He just picked me up out of that miry clay and the filth that I was in and he forgave me. And you know what I've found since then? Every time I get myself in a mess. Do you get yourself in a mess? Every time I get myself in a mess and I come back to the Lord and I confess my sins, I found him faithful. I found him faithful to forgive me. Isn't that wonderful? There's a hymn we 
we often sing. And a line in that hymn, in our hymn book, it's uh, 373, I think, in our hymn book, and uh, there's a, the line in that hymn is, Pass me not, O gentle Saviour, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Praise God. We serve, folks, we serve a wonderful Lord. He's so good. He's that good. He has a place by him just for you. Let's stand. I ask you to stand. We'll close our eyes. I want to encourage you, if you need to spend some time with the Lord this evening, maybe he's spoken to you, maybe you've been out of that place and you want to find that place, or maybe you're in that place and you want to stay in that place and you just need to spend some time with the Lord, I encourage you to do that. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. I'm going to hand over to Pastor. Heavenly Father, we thank you, my Lord, for your tenderness and your mercy. Oh, Lord, I'm so grateful for that place by Thee. I'm thankful, Lord, even when I sin and I stumble and I fall and I make a mess of it. Oh, Lord, how glad I am that there's a place by Thee. And if I just take on my part, You'll do Your part. And You'll stand by me. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd help the dear folks here this evening. I pray you'd minister to each and every spiritual need that there is. Lord, if there's someone struggling hard with sin tonight, oh, how we pray the Holy Ghost of God would just draw them in. May they come to the end of their sin and their self and throw themselves at the Saviour's feet. Oh, Lord, help us, we plead in Jesus' name. Amen.